0: How many of you remember making this statement, I'm tired of the year 2020, I can't wait till 2021 gets here. (laughs) Remember that? You know, at the end of uh, 2020, I heard so many people saying that, that it finally struck me, what if we're all wrong? What if 2021 is just as bad or even worse than 2020? 2020? And I've mentioned that one time, and someone said, don't say that, Pastor. <laughs> There's no way that 2021 could be, it could be as bad as 2020. Well, I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet, but I'd like to ask you, how was your 2021? <laughs> you know, I haven't heard anyone lately saying, I can't wait for 2022. It's like we all learned our lesson, right? You know, it's uh, this time nobody's assuming That 2022 will be better than 2021, but we're hoping. And it's almost like a whimper. Please, please let 2022 be better than the last two years, you know. And and maybe it will be. Or, more, more likely, there will be good things in it, okay, that we'll have to find. But sometimes the good things of life are hard to find, aren't they? Well, that's why I want to help you with this uh, new series uh, called Counterfeits, and I want you to think about all of the incredible and the monumental changes that have happened in our society and world, and I know, I know, you're Baptist, you don't like change, all right? And um, and I, I would just say to that, isn't it good that the world asked your opinion, that before it got all in a hurry and decided to change? Well, well that of course that's just it. The world didn't ask our opinion, did it? And it didn't ask your opinion, didn't ask mine. The world just changed. And it keeps on changing, faster and faster and faster until it's hard to keep up and you might be thinking, well that's just rude. That's rude of the world to change without asking my opinion. And I agree. It is rude of the world to do that, and that's why I'm preaching this new sermon series because By the end of this series, we in this room will have stopped the world from ever changing again. Or maybe not. Or we might be able to do the next best thing, get ourselves prepared to deal with all of these changes. Okay, But I want you to think about some of the monumental changes that have happened lately. And I want to throw something out there and see if you might agree with it at least by the end of the sermon, and it's this statement. All of these changes have something in common. And it's this, that the Christian-based structures of society are being replaced by counterfeits. Okay? Let me give you some examples. Censorship is replacing free speech. A culture of death, is replacing the sanctity of life. Homosexuality and its variants are replacing heterosexuality. Gender fluidity is replacing male and female. Indoctrinating children is replacing educating children. Socialist poverty is replacing free economic wealth. Rewarding crime is replacing punishing crime. Unrestricted immigration is replacing boundaries. And compliance is replacing liberty. And you might think about all these different things that are happening in society and wonder what in the world is going on these days. (laughs) And I'm glad you asked that question because I'm going to tell you, and I'll tell you right from the beginning, you're not going to like the answer. But Remember this, no matter how bad the answer is, there's good news to be found if you look for it, okay? Here's what's going on with all of these changes in society, and so part of the goal of my sermon today, it's a little bit unusual, we won't be digging into the scriptures as much as I typically like to do in my sermons, but for this sermon, I want you to be able to put all these changes of the world into context, and give you an understanding of what's going on in your world and see what Scripture might have to say about that. Here's what's going on. We are living through an historic shift in civilization. Let me say that again. We are living through an historic shift in civilization. A few months ago, a French political theorist by the name of Chantal Saul published a book with this title, at least in English, The End of the Christian World. Now by that, she's not saying that the Christian faith is coming to an end. It is not and cannot. But rather that Christian culture will no longer be a dominant force in our society, in the West. And the last time... Such a huge, monumental shift in how the world operates happened was 1,600 years ago. And here's what happened back then. If you and I were able to somehow get into a, a time capsule and, and travel back in time 1,600 years or 2,000 years, uh, let's say, and we were to make our way to Rome, and we were to walk into the uh, Roman Senate chamber, What we would see in the Roman Senate chamber was an altar. And standing on top of the altar was a statue. And this uh, image is a replication of that statue, although the statue at the time had a head. And on the head was the head of a woman. And so you had this woman with wings, and uh, the Greeks called this statue, which represented a goddess, that they worship, they, they called this statue Nike. The Romans called this Victoria. And so this altar that stood in the Roman Senate that had this statue on top was called the Altar of Victory. And the Altar of Victory was very important. You see, for hundreds of years, Roman senators would come to the altar and they would burn incense at the altar And they would offer prayers at the altar. And they would take their oaths to be a good Roman senator at the altar of victory. And every time a new emperor came to power, the Roman senators would pledge their allegiance, where? At the altar of victory. Now, the time period that we're talking about is the time when Jesus was walking the earth and for almost 400 years after that. And so at that time... The Roman world was largely pagan. By that I mean people were largely pagan. Well, what does that mean? What are are pagans? By pagan I mean that people were either polytheists, meaning they worshipped a whole bunch of different gods. That was probably most people. They worshipped this god and that god and Apollos and all these other gods. They worshipped all these other gods. Or they worshipped nature. They worshipped eagles and trees and the ocean and whatever. Or... They were atheists. They just didn't believe in anything spiritual. Or they were agnostics. They didn't know and they didn't care. Okay. And so by all of that together, I mean pagan. And so since people were pagans, Roman society as a whole were, was very much pagan. So Roman art, was pagan art. Roman literature was pagan literature. Roman government, all of the structures of society were an eclectic mix of ingredients that were in no way Christian and in no way based on the revelation of God to us in the scriptures. Okay, Morality in that day was not based on God's revelation of himself to Moses and the other Jews who wrote uh, the Hebrew Scriptures, and, and it wasn't based on God's revelation of Himself ultimately in the person of Christ to, to Christians and those that believed. But morality was based on eh, whatever works at the time. Sound familiar? Society, or I should say science, science, as crude and as simplistic as science was back then compared to what we have today, Science was not based on the idea that there was a God who created the universe, and the universe has physical laws, and they just are there waiting to be discovered by mankind. But rather, science was based on the fact that mankind is not much more than any other animal, maybe a little bit more advanced. But as the years went by, Christianity, in this world of paganism, became more popular. Christianity became more popular. Now, Christianity and paganism are largely antithetical, oil and water. They just don't mix very well. And so as Christianity became more popular, the structures and the traditions that the pagans held so dear for so long came under attack. See, Christians valued much of what pagans despised. And Christians condemned much of what the pagans held dear. I'll give you some examples. When pagans at that time abandoned their newborn children at the side of the road, and this was a common practice, why would they do such a thing? If the child was deformed, if the child was a female. When pagans abandoned their newborn children at the side of the road, Christians would come along Take those children and raise them to adulthood. Christians loved what pagans despised. Another example. When pagans engaged in emperor worship and they called Caesar Lord, then Christians came along and said, No, there's only one Lord, and that's Jesus Christ. And so you can see the conflict between the two. Pagans would embrace all kinds of uh, sexual activity. But Christians began to practice that they should restrict sex between a man and his wife. And when pagans would think about morality and think about religion, they would separate the two. And see, to pagans, your religion, that's a household matter. Do what you want there. Morality, what's right and wrong in society... Well, that's decided by the elites. They will tell you what's approved and what's not approved. Again, sound familiar? Christians came along and they said, No, your faith should impact the way you believe. Religion and morality were united in the Christian worldview of things. And so the Christian faith over those those early centuries, eventually became so popular that it was adopted by the Roman government in the 4th century A.D. And then in A.D. 384, the pagan altar of victory was removed from the Roman Senate. And this action symbolized something very important. It symbolized the Christian takeover of the Roman Empire paganism had lost and it had given way to christianity now that doesn't mean that everybody was a christian it doesn't mean that nobody was a pagan anymore Um, it simply meant that from that point forward all the structures of society would be heavily influenced by christianity paganism was pushed underground paganism was covered up and paganism has existed Underground ever since. Every once in a while, paganism will sort of uh, rear its head up and try to influence Christian society. And like whack-a-mole, the Christian society will put paganism back in its place. Okay, But for 16 centuries in the West, the Christian structures of the world prevailed until now. According to Ms. Delsall, the author of the book, a couple of things happened in more recent history, one of which was in the 1960s, Pope John XXIII advanced religious pluralism. In other words, he more or less invited other religions to take part in these heavily Christian structures, and he did this in part with Vatican II. That happened in the 60s, and then in the 1970s, these so-called Christian structures of society, governments, decided to legalize the killing of of humans via abortion. When these two things happened, she says, it marked the beginning of the end of dominant Christian culture. And so we are at this point in history, living through a change as monumental in scope as Rome's pivot from paganism to Christianity in the 4th century, only today it's going back the other way. Our world is repaganizing. Let me show you what I mean, in case you hesitate to believe this. When you turn on the TV... And you see a commercial for a hotel or a soft drink or some jewelry. And you see a sweet, loving couple blissfully experiencing whatever that product is. And that sweet, loving, blissful couple is of the same sex. That is not Christian in any form or fashion. It's pagan. When you hear people tell you, their preferred pronouns, or on the government form or your medical form at the doctor's office, you have to indicate what your preferred pronoun is, whether you like to be called he or she or they or ze or whatever your preferred pronoun is. Well, that's not a Christian way of thinking. It's pagan. When elementary schools are used as vehicles by which children can be taught not how to read and write and do arithmetic, but rather how to be genderqueer. That's not Christian in any way. It's pagan. When speech codes are introduced so that certain words that might trigger emotionally unstable individuals cannot be uttered unless you find yourself in a designated free speech area. That's not Christian. It's pagan. During this past Christmas season, the Pew Research Institute came out with a poll that revealed for the first time Christians make up a minority of the number of Americans under 40. It's simply a sign of the growing popularity of paganism. And you might be thinking, well, pastor, I don't like the direction that this is headed at all. This seems to be detrimental to me and my children and my grandchildren and my church and my community and my nation. And I would say you're absolutely right. You see, what you have to understand is that you and your children and your church are not intended to be the beneficiaries of this movement. The beneficiaries of this movement, this surge toward neo-paganism in our society, are secular feminists, transgendered persons, atheists, Muslim immigrants, and so on. All of them, and many more, are very willing to embrace and identify with what the world is becoming, even if at times it means that those individual movements are at odds with one another. For example, um, secular feminists who claim to strive to secure rights for women, they are incredibly silent now when it comes to transsexual males who compete as females in sporting events to the detriment of Girls, why would these people who spent decades telling us to hear them roar not now make a peep when it comes to defending girls and young women who want to play sports? It's very simple why they're silent. If their silence can help hasten the advent of neo-paganism, then silent they shall be. You see, they believe that they, like the other groups I just identified and others, will be the beneficiaries of this brave new world. You might say, well, what about me? What about the Bible believing Baptist? What about my friends? What about the traditional Roman Catholic? What about the theologically conservative of, of any Christian denomination? We don't embrace what this world is becoming, no, but we better get used to living in it because it's coming nevertheless. You see, the onslaught of neo-paganism is as unstoppable as a West Texas dust storm. I mean, you can go outside in the middle of it and huff and puff and blow against it all you want, but you can't stop it. The smartest thing for you to do is to find a shelter that keeps you safe from it. And, of course, we have one. You might wonder, well, what in the world is going to come in the next number of years or decades? Well, what's coming is this. It will be the same thing that happened back in the 4th century, only in reverse. What do I mean by that? Well, you see, in the 4th century... The pagans that still existed that saw with their own eyes that they were losing the culture wars, that they were losing everything that they held dear to this new movement called Christianity, and they didn't like it at all. They didn't want any part of it any more than you want any part of this new world that's coming. They didn't like it at all. You know what they thought? They thought, you know, what when the Christians take over, our society's going to collapse. And we have a lot of Christian thinkers today who think, that when the neo-pagans take over, our society will collapse as well. But here's the problem. Uh, It's not really a problem, but here's the situation. It didn't happen back in the 4th century. Society didn't collapse when the Christians took over. What actually happened in the 4th century that when Christianity took over, Christianity, for the most part, baptized the structures that the pagans had already put in place. In other words... Christianity, when it took over, it didn't destroy everything the pagans had set up. It simply made them more Christian. And when the neo-pagans complete their takeover, they will seek to do the same and make everything that we hold dear more pagan. And it's already happening, as you can see. I'll give you an example of way back then. You've heard of the Hippocratic Oath, right? It's the oath that the doctors take. Uh, to make sure they do no harm and and all of that. And they've had that set up for for centuries. Traditionally, physicians swear to uphold this. Well, the original oath actually swears by Apollos and other Greek gods. Well, once Christianity took over, they said, let's do away with all these Greek gods And let's make it a little bit more amenable to people. And so today's Hippocratic Oaths swear by whatever each of us holds most dear. And so it's a little bit easier to swallow. You see, Christianity didn't destroy the Hippocratic Oath. It just made it more digestible to Christians. And that, only in reverse, is likely what will happen to the Christian-based structures once neo-paganism takes over all the way. I'll give you an example of how this has already happened to a degree. Back in 2013, right here in America, same-sex couples, they didn't come up with their own institution to legalize their status as a couple. Instead, they co-opted Christian matrimony They took a structure that Christianity embedded into society, marriage, and they paganized it, saying, well, marriage can be for anybody. So this is the direction that our society is headed. And if this is the direction we're headed, then what are you and I to do? Well, a couple of things. First, we need not be afraid of what's coming. Okay, it's not good news, but we do not need to be afraid of it. Why? Because God is in control. God is in control. Our God is in heaven, and He does whatever He pleases. Okay, remember that. Psalm 103 says, The Lord has established His throne in heaven, and His kingdom rules over all. Remember that. God is in control. Number two, I would remind you that the future is in God's hands. Has God's word changed? No. No. Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the Old Testament, were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So let me ask you a question. Can we trust that Jesus' own words about the future will come to pass? Of course they will. Of course they will. The New Testament clearly states that times of tribulation await humanity in the future. And I would say this about this resurgence of neo-paganism. I would say that it stands to reason that this tribulation that the New Testament talks about and all that encompasses it, the Antichrist, the false prophet, one world government, restrictions on free enterprise, corruption, persecution of believers, all of this comes to pass much easier if Christian systems and structures are replaced by neo-pagan structures. And so could it be that through this evil, God will ultimately fulfill His plan for human history and ultimately, of course, bring about good? I think it's very much possible. Many plans are in a person's heart, the Bible says, but the Lord's decree will Prevail. We've read the end of the book. We win. No doubt about it. If we are on the side of God, then we win. Third, I would remind you how the Christian faith flourished in the paganism of the Roman Empire. When Jesus came, he came into a pagan world a heavily pagan world. And all of those structures and systems that were terribly pagan in nature, Jesus came into that world. When the early church began to share their faith and spread all over the Roman Empire, it was a pagan empire that they were spreading the gospel into. And so I would just remind you that the darker that it is, the brighter the light seems to shine. Our world is returning to the culture of the first century A.D. And if we want to be effective, then it means that we must be first century Christians. And so instead of conforming our beliefs in order to make our beliefs more palatable to those who hate us and, by the way, will never accept our beliefs anyway, We must hold fast to Scripture as our authority. The Bible must be our authority not only in doctrine, but in practice. And in that regard, I believe that we must, as Christians here in America and in the West, we must get back to what I I would consider biblical church planting, which is house churches. You see, the only way that the multiplication of our faith can outpace the population growth in our society is by the planting of house churches. That means regular Christians like you leading churches in their house. We must not fall anymore, fall into the trap of believing that the only way to have church is to spend a million dollars on a big room so everyone can hear one guy come preach and some music be put on. That is no way to multiply your faith. We just don't have the money for it or the land. The only way that the early church was able to outpace population growth in the first century is because it made the planting of churches easy. In other words, it followed Jesus' plan in Matthew 10 and Luke 10. Jesus gave us his plan. It's been sitting there for 2,000 years. And unfortunately, it's been dormant because we don't do anything with it. We think that the only way we can ever grow our faith is to build bigger buildings and, and do things in a traditionally, historically Christian fashion. And we just cannot keep up with population growth doing it that way. If we get back to Jesus' plan, if we listen and obey our Lord, then maybe we can have the same kind of influence in the coming centuries that the early church had in the first century and beyond. By the way, I would say this as well. Having house churches may serve us well if the neo-pagans ever decide to eliminate our tax-exempt status or outlaw churches that don't toe the party line. We have to look no further than India and China to see the success of underground churches or house churches to know what, in a real-life example, the path that we should follow. The next thing I would ask you to do and consider putting in your heart is this, stand against evil. Now, I I know I just said that the neo-pagans' takeover is almost inevitable. And apart from a mighty act of God, it is. But even if we are going to lose the culture war, let us stand against evil all the way. Let them call us names. Let them ban us on social media. Let them do whatever they want. Let them imprison us and take our taxes, raise our taxes, and, and uh, let them kill us if they want to. But let us be people that stand against evil. Let us be people that say, no, this is not the way you are to indoctrinate children. No, this is not the way you are to behave in society. No, this is not the way you are to treat people. We must stand against people. Excuse me, stand against evil. And tell people that they have a Savior who died on the cross for their sins and He rose from the grave just for them. And if they laugh in our face and they turn us away, let them give an answer for that at the judgment. Finally, I would encourage you to be willing to pay the price. Be willing to pay the price. The Bible says, All who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We in our lives, I'm 52 years old or so, and we in our lives have very much enjoyed freedom of worship. We have not been persecuted. Not in the least bit. It's coming. We must be ready to face the persecution with joy and when they imprison us we there in prison have bible studies and sing songs of praise to god all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted it's ramping up it's coming let's not bemoan it but let's accept it as it may be our fate matthew 5:10 jesus said blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for the kingdom of heaven is theirs that's the kingdom that I want to be a part of so let us embrace what may be coming you know i hesitated to the more I began to prepare this message to Share it because you're going to walk out of here saying, Well, Pastor, that was the most depressing thing I've heard in a long time. Thanks for telling me where our society is going. However, I believe this to be true. I believe the signs are there. And I believe that if you have faith in God, that little bit of faith that you have You have it in a great, mighty God. He is greater than any of these issues that I've raised today. And so it is in Him that we trust. It is in Him that we live and breathe and move and have our being.